This is the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Bee Orthopedic Podcast channel. The series is hosted by the chairs of the AOS Resident Assembly and features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. Welcome to today's episode of the AOS Career Podcast. Orthopedic surgeons gain valuable skills by serving in leadership positions. In today's episode, our guest, Dr. Elizabeth Maskin, will discuss her leadership journey and offer recommendations for residents on how to get started and how to gain the most out of these experiences. Dr. Maskin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So you have a pretty impressive CV. You serve as the chief of the women's sports medicine division at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, team physician for U.S. women's national soccer, Paralympic soccer, women's national hockey team, and you're the head team physician of Stonehill College. So you have a lot of leadership positions. And in addition, you are the chair of the AOS Membership Council, which is actually how we got to know each other. So I'm really excited to hear about your journey. Can you tell me a little bit of a big picture timeline on how you got where you are now? Back in the day when I completed residency and fellowship, I couldn't wait to become a member of the AOS. Resident Assembly did not exist at that time. So you guys have great opportunities at a much younger time in in your journey than I did. But as soon as I was eligible to serve on any committees, I started looking into it and certainly had some sponsors and mentors along the way started small, working on some work groups and worked my way up to communications cabinet and the Women's Health Advisory Board and slowly found my journey to where I am now as the membership council chair. And my recommendation is I think you have to start small and demonstrate your abilities to do a good job so that you can then move on to the next level and the next level. And the AOS has done an incredible job of really laying this out better for our younger members now with our ally leadership program and the resident assembly as a really excellent stepping stone. Absolutely. What were the reasons you were so excited to join AOS and become a member? It allowed me to acquire knowledge that wasn't accessible to me in our daily practice as an orthopedic surgeon And I was able to gain a lot of that knowledge through observation on these different work groups and committees, and then certainly going to the annual meeting and networking. And whether I was learning about orthopedic surgery or about leadership or about how volunteer membership run institution works, I found it all very interesting. I was a leadership fellow back in the day when the leadership fellows program still existed, And that really enlightened me to see how much went on a daily basis at the AOS that I really wasn't totally attuned to initially. Yeah, I think the sooner people can get involved, they can see what it is that goes into our organization and how much work really is going on behind the scenes. It seems like once you were a member, you were able to jump right in and get involved with work groups and committees. But did you experience any obstacles along the way? I think there's always obstacles. I think it's just how you want to look at them. There were often whispers about, can she do it? What is she doing there? I actually think we've made big steps as female orthopedic surgeons demonstrating our competency 
as actual surgeons and teaching surgery and technique and procedures. But I think there was some question about my abilities probably early on, I'm sure. You just look the other way and keep on going. And if you're passionate about something and put the time and effort in, then you should succeed. I think that's great advice. Having confidence in yourself and your abilities is the most important thing when it comes to success, both in the clinical and non-clinical situations. Obviously, a lot of what we're going to talk about today in terms of leadership is not necessarily clinical, but how do you think your experiences in leadership have improved your clinical practice? That's a great question. I think learning how to be a better leader has allowed me to be a better leader for my team, both on clinic days and in the operating room. And I really try and create a team environment and everybody counts and everyone has a voice. And often it's my research assistant or a medical student or someone that asks the right question. And I go, oh my gosh, yes, I didn't think of that. That would be a great idea. And in the operating room, the same thing. I'm very lucky to often scrub techs and nurses and anesthesiologists that I've gotten to know over the years. But Each of them brings a lot of value to the team. And I think being able to let them know that their value is important just builds a really good community and culture to show up. I mean, I love showing up to work and seeing everyone every day. It takes some time to, like you said, have the confidence to build that and learn how to do it with agility, depending on who you're working with and being able to motivate everyone around you managing different personalities and different expectations of your team and your colleagues is obviously really difficult. But I think going through, like even in my own experience, the act of learning about leadership has been really helpful. Can you talk about a time where you were able to implement some of the things you learned as a leader within AOS or any organization to a conflict you had to deal with? That's a really good question. I think on a daily basis in clinic, there's often conflict with patients. It's not always negative conflict, but managing emotions, especially when I have young athletes that I've just told they're going to be out of sports for six months, or they're trying to bargain that they can return to sport earlier, learning how to manage their emotions and their parents' emotions and trying to turn the negative into positive. We're going to get you back. Yes, this is going to take time. There is a certain gift of how to manage that with patients. I think also there can be conflict with my colleagues and partners or with residents and fellows and learning how to be a good communicator and not let things dwell and addressing them when they come up, I think has helped me very much as a leader. Obviously, just the experience of being on different committees and being in leadership roles, you gain some of the soft skills that you don't necessarily learn in medical school. But what other resources have you used to develop your leadership style or your leadership skills? Taking leadership courses, reading leadership books have been very helpful. I also just think watching the leaders who have been before me has really helped. And I've sat in the boardroom at the AOS for many years and have been able to see different presidents lead the boardroom. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way, but there's certainly been ways that I have made a mental note of thinking like, I think that was a really nice way of doing it. Just picking up little pieces here and there over time. What was the best course that you attended? 
So one of the best courses I attended was leadership course at Northwestern. It was made for physicians. We learned about, for example, negotiating skills, something that is physicians we never learn about. And it put us in different scenarios that were really uncomfortable as a surgeon. But I took home a lot of nuggets of information from that course that I think have helped many other areas. Yeah, I think there are so many things we can certainly learn from the business arena that medicine has yet to integrate. Do you have a favorite leadership book? I feel like a lot of people do. I don't know if I have a favorite one, but I can tell you one that always sticks in my mind is the first one I really read, which was Good to Great. Yeah, that's a good one. I've heard that before. I haven't read it yet, but it's on my list. And it's an easy one to read, so makes it even better. So I think we've touched on this a little bit, but what would you say to a PGY1 who is obviously not really thinking about this, something they should start considering when it comes to leadership? What's the value in participating in it early on? So I think the value, especially in the AOS, is connecting with others, meeting people, learning how to set goals and accomplish them, learning how to be an active listener. And these are all skills that you'll learn that can be applied to all different facets of your career and learning how to be self-confident, how to be self-aware, many things that I think we take for granted if we don't actually realize what they are and how we can work to make them better for ourselves. I think it's an important part of just career development in general. As you go from resident to fellow to attending, you have to learn how to transition in your roles and having good leadership skills is definitely an important part of that. We talked a little bit about the resident assembly as a good place to start, but what other types of leadership opportunities are out there for maybe new attendings or fellows and residents? Yeah, I would encourage all of our young members to get involved because we need young members to help us prepare for the future. We need your ideas and your innovation. My number one recommendation would be know what you're passionate about. There's so many different avenues for people who really like politics and advocacy. You can find tons of committees and work groups within the Advocacy Council and For others who are really involved in education, whether it's medical students or residents or physician education, I would then say you should steer yourself towards the Education Council. Quality and Research does some amazing work if those things interest you. So I think you have to know what excites you because if you're on a committee and it doesn't excite you, then you're wasting your time and everyone else's time on the committee. But if you're passionate about it, it doesn't seem like extra work and it seems like active learning. I think that's a great piece of advice, knowing yourself and knowing what you like, because saying yes to a committee that you don't care about, you're not going to do a good job. I guess that sort of leads into my next question of how do you prioritize certain things and how do you know when to say no? I think that's a good question. When you're very young and starting out, it's very hard to say no, but you also have a little bit more time. And so I think trying different opportunities is still really important. But then once you know your path and where you want to go, it's not going to serve you positively 
you're not going to be able to give 100%, it's okay to say, I'm so sorry, but I don't have the time for this committee right now. Or I'm so sorry, I don't think I can commit to doing this work for you, but maybe so-and-so who I know would be a great fit and a great match for you. I've heard the advice a lot that as a young surgeon, you shouldn't say no to anything. What do you think about that? That's interesting. I once had two book chapters that I was writing and I offered them to residents at the time to help. It's pretty guaranteed easy publication. And both residents agreed to do the chapter. And then I don't know, a few weeks went by and one resident came back and said, you know, Dr. Matskin, I just don't think I have the time to do this. And at first I was like, huh, that's kind of lame. This is a great opportunity to get your name on a chapter. But I said, all right. So I gave it to someone else, not a big deal. And then the other resident held on to it, held on to it. The deadline comes, I still didn't have anything. And I remember looking back and thinking, wow, the first resident that realized that they probably didn't have the time to take care of this. My initial reaction probably wasn't like, that's great. But looking back, they had more self-awareness And I appreciated that a lot more than I thought I would. I think it's okay to decline things that aren't right for you. And I think it's a learning process for everyone. In the end, the resident who ended up passing up on it early probably did me more of a favor than the resident that held on to it past the deadline. Yeah, I think it's hard. You don't want to say no to things because you don't want to disappoint someone. But then if you don't have time, you're disappointing them anyway. So it's better to just maybe pass on some. We've talked a lot about your positions within AOS, but maybe we can talk a little bit about your positions at the Brigham and within the Women's Sports Division. How did you get that title and what does that really mean for your day-to-day practice? We've worked really hard to build a women's sports medicine program where we can provide really collaborative or multidisciplinary care to the female athlete. And we're currently working as Mass General Brigham, so combining the Mass General and the Brigham programs to really make a nationally recognized program for all female athletes. We do a lot of research looking at sex differences in musculoskeletal medicine and trying to apply that to practice. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of hard work. But again, if you're passionate about something, it makes it a lot easier to do. And I'm passionate about sports medicine, certainly about female athletes. I think as a former female athlete, and I have three athletic daughters, which I think fuels a lot of my passion to see this field move forward. You've been able to take your passion and make it work How does your leadership position within AOS differ from some positions you may have held in the subspecialty societies like AOSSM? Some of my avenues have been similar, whether it's in education or communication. That's where I've tended to find my path through some of the societies, but the AOS is really the mothership. Things happen at a larger level with more forward thinkers, more diverse thinkers. Most of the committees through the AOS are often diverse by age, by location, by specialty. So it brings together a whole different group of people versus if I'm doing something with Anna or AOSM, we're not quite as diverse because we're all interested in the same things to a certain degree, which can also be very positive and beneficial. But those are some of the differences that I've probably seen as I've crawled my way through different committees. 
I was so excited to talk to you because education, communication, that's what I like as well. So I'm very curious to hear more about your story and get other people to hear about it because I think it's pretty great. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? The best piece of advice I've ever got is probably not perfectly worded like this, be so good that they can't ignore you, right? So if you do the work, do a good job, show up on time, get done what needs to be done. If you do a really good job, then you're going to succeed at some point. You may not be first, but you will come out on top when all is said and done. I think that's a good piece of advice. What's the worst piece of advice someone ever gave you? The worst piece of advice someone ever gave me was back in the day when I remember I told an orthopedic surgeon, I was a medical student at the time, that I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And they said, you're too small for that. And that was the last straw I needed to definitively make my decision and move forward. Maybe it was the best advice I had got, but I think just being told I was too small for anything clearly wasn't going to stop me. But that was probably the worst advice anyone's ever given me. Yeah, I was on one rotation. I was on a sub I for orthopedics. I'd already decided I was doing it. And an attending was like, oh, you should go into radiology. I'm like, but I'm already here doing this. Yes, thank you for your advice, but I've come too far. And I already made my decision. For people who have just started to get involved in committees, whether they're residents, fellows, young attendings, what's the best way to succeed and to move up the ladder over time? Obviously, you're not going to join a committee and be the chair of it the first day. So how do you make your way? Honestly, it's just by doing a good job. Usually the chairs of committees served on those committees at some point in time and did a really good job. Committee members, as well as our chairs, are all evaluated. If you don't do a good job, you may not get that position the next time. I would encourage everyone in the AOS to participate in the Ally program, the leadership program currently. And that's an excellent way to not only learn about what the AOS has to offer, but to move through different levels of leadership positions. Any other advice you'd have for residents who are looking to build their leadership skill set and on things they can do now as they progress in their career? I would recommend that you are always honest and transparent, that you support each other, especially as females, we talk about the shine theory, supporting other colleagues. And the more you support them, the more they're going to support you because without support, it's going to be hard to be a great leader. Have forward thinking thinking ahead, having forward momentum, initiating things, not being afraid to take risks and fail. And I think most importantly, just do good work. I think that's great. I'd like to thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. For those who are interested in leadership positions within the AOS, please visit www.aaos.org backslash cap to see what positions are available. And for residents who are interested in the resident assembly, you can visit our page on aos.org as well. For our listeners who are interested in the Ally program, we did record an episode last season with Dr. Beeson and Dr. Bosco about Ally. You can check the show notes for a link to that episode to hear more about it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bombi Orthopedic Podcast channel. For more information on this topic and to hear other conversations on professional development, 
please visit aos.org forward slash the bone beat.